Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 Podcast. We have another great episode today. As a reminder, you can find older episodes on progreport.com and all our podcast networks uh, and keep up to date with all the latest reviews and news and everything else going on. Joining me is a guy you've heard on the podcast before. He's contributed some uh, reviews and articles on the website and is uh, an expert on all things Devin Townsend. So I'm going to bring in Jordan Blum. Thank you, Jordan. How you doing, man? Good. Thanks for the nice introduction. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Very flattered, and hopefully, I don't embarrass myself or sound too fanboy or anything stupid. <laughs> no, well, you know, that's fine if you do. Uh, and of course, we're really happy to uh, bring on the the musical genius himself, Mr. Devin Townsend. Devin, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for that introduction as well, man. I appreciate it, and uh, I will. I will. Do my best to perpetuate the myth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I appreciate you doing this. Uh, you have about uh, a week or, yeah, about 10 days before you hit the big North American tour for the Empath uh, album. And uh, you got Haken and the Contortionist uh, joining you on the run. And it's it looks like it's going to be amazing. I mean, the, the UK shows looked phenomenal from everything I saw and read about. Um, you know, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the tour before we get to the top five uh, Devon songs that we're going to do. But, um, you know, how was how were those first set of shows? I mean, they looked amazing. Uh, how'd that go for you? Yeah, it was amazing in a lot of ways, man. I think my objective for this touring cycle is to um, is to try and make every run that I do different. I think in the past I ran into the situation where I would just get bored. You know, you 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 play the same set and you do the same territories and then you come back with the same set again later on that year. And and I think because so much of my interests lie in, in the creative side of things, uh, live shows have always been a conundrum for me because I just get sick of it really quick. So what I tried to do is make every run different, starting with the acoustic and then the volume one tour, which is what we did in Europe was uh fascinating for me a lot of its improvisation uh no backing tracks no clicks very different from what i've done in the past and that's what i'm i'm continuing to do in north america and then from there i go on and do something completely different so i'm enjoying the variation that's awesome and and the the freedom you get from your fans to be able to do all these kind of test things that are along the way i mean that's this is what you've established over this long career. And that's going to just give you at least a, a amazing freedom to be able to do it and know they'll, they'll join you for it. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing that I'm hoping is that people see what my uh, intention is by doing this. It's, it's, I've got a vision that I've uh, been trying to achieve since the beginning, basically. And um, I felt that somewhere along the way I was, um, I was, finding myself having to compromise that vision in a sense. So this empath tour cycle is an opportunity for me to sort of strip it back and analyze every aspect of it. Uh, the acoustic tour was a way for me just to sort of play that music with nothing. And then to do it now untethered with, without the, the backing tracks and clicks and doing it uh, with players that can sort of uh, interpret the parts a little differently is another learning curve for me that has been, um, uh, really enlightening 
And then by the time I get to uh, volume three, I guess, after I go through the, the second run in the summer, I think I will be much more in line with what my objectives have been from the beginning. I just needed to really experiment with it all. And thankfully, I have a tolerant audience and uh, I hope to be able to provide them with something that's really cool all the way. One thing about the uh, the set list, I mean, is it going to be completely different from the last run of shows this time around? You're changing things up on that end as well? Uh, we're changing it up to a certain degree. I'm trying to cater it a little bit more towards what I have experienced with the North American market mm-hmm. or audience, which is, um, you know, I think my my throw in Europe is a little is a little uh, longer, so I can get away with being a little bit more artsy, a little more fartsy, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, in North America, I think it's it's a matter of of just trying to take that set list which we've learned with this group of players. You know Morgan and Mike Keneally and and Nathan and Diego and Che and and then try and uh, streamline it a little bit so it's more uh, song oriented as opposed to stream of conscious oriented. However, there'll still be a certain amount of that because that's this particular group of players. Right. But right. again, man, I just really like the idea of not having to do the same thing every time I go out. It just was driving me bananas over the past couple of years. It's it's like it becomes karaoke to a certain extent. And I, uh, I, uh, uh, who knows what the future will hold for me when it comes to, um, uh, you know, uh, how I articulate this stuff down the line. But for right now, I really want to try and branch out and try some different things. And that does mean a different set list. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. I think that's going to be exciting. And I, I'm going to get a chance to see it. I think Jordan is as well. So looking forward to it. So you're coming to Philly on March 3rd. Yeah. Uh, and I'm supposed to do this thing called teach that night, you know, as, as a job. <laughs> no. Nonsense. Yeah. But I'm like, should I cancel class to, you know, what's my yeah. responsibility versus what's my responsibility <laughs> in another sense? Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a doctorate of awkward, awkward. So you have the doctor's orders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, sign a, I'll sign a note for you i'll just say you know doc awkward uh respectfully requests your presence at the philly show yeah i'll show it to my to the dean of the school and all my bosses and say look you know the students can do something else i got this to do yes. yeah yeah man yeah, i think that's right. i think the choice is really clear uh if, it's, uh, uh, is it rock again in philly i don't know i didn't look at the schedule yet um, no the truck actually closed so it's i believe it's the tla the theater of living arts oh sure sure sure. oh it closed oh that's right i remember hearing yeah, the about it closed oh that sucks yeah it was a nice place it was yeah well it was a place <laughs> <laughs> well, at least right. i like the the balcony the red balcony that they had at least i did and i like the fact that it was it was near chinatown for the uh for the grub aspect but um but yeah, man. Okay, well, cool. Well, hopefully I'll see you there, man. Yeah, I hope so. All right, cool. Figure it out. All right, so uh, all right, let's get started. Let's dive into this top five so it doesn't take too long. Um, all right, Devin, if uh, just to run through the thing for everybody again, we each picked five songs from the massive catalog that is the Devin Townsend uh, catalog, and um, we'll we'll each talk about them uh, and we'll go in order. So. Why don't you, uh, Devin, go with your uh, number five choice, and uh, we'll start there. At number five, um, we'll take the song "Mountain" from Teria. I, I tend to I tend to write in in several different ways, um, and I, I compartmentalize my thinking whilst writing as well. Where uh, I really like melody, I really like um, uh, like 
I guess for lack of a better term, pop melody. And I've written a number of songs uh, throughout my career that are are pretty straightforward, sort of pop sounding songs, you know, like Spiritual Collide or, or, or Stagnant or Life or any of those things. And that's because there's a part of my mind that really likes that and really likes those structures and the simplicity of it. Um, but the type of music that I find myself most uh, uh, interested in when it comes to my own uh, tastes is uh, basically puzzles, like musical puzzles that function um, by all these little sort of cogs in a, in a watch intricately making sense with um, melodic information that doesn't make sense. I find that really satisfying, you know, like like uh and mountain is a good example of that because melodically the main line clashes uh so much with the other lines in the song yet because of the levels of like echo that i tend to use and the way that the the tempo in in mountain is kind of lurching and and also sort of irrespective of what the melody is doing i really found that one satisfying because in a very peculiar way uh it lined up. I tend to look at songs as, as shapes, I guess. And, and that ended up making a rectangle with very uh, straight lines, but all the information on the inside shouldn't. And um, I, uh, I really enjoy making puzzles, I think, musically. And uh, Mountain is an example of a puzzle, but it's also um, uh, calm and stony, and, and, and I dig that. Well, just like I, I agree with everything, obviously, he said about Mountain, because um, it's just like, you know, it has that you know, the opening song is just sort of like a prelude. And then it just bursts in with like growls and this dissonance. And then it has such like cathartic lyrics and melody. So I agree. It's it's a great example of, of Devin's use of like dynamics and kind of shit that should not go together. But it does. Yeah. I You know, I appreciate it. And I think a lot of it, too, because I sort of work from a position of, I guess, synesthesia in a certain way. I see that song and the way that it was mixed and the way that you know the kick drum sounds in relationship to like the the tempo which uh was also intentional is as a sort of um olive green kind of thing and um i uh i really like again uh colorful puzzles that end up making sense but against all musical kind of um uh, you know, the technical things that should or shouldn't work. I mean, I just love that. Yeah, fantastic. Good, good place to start. Thank you. Jordan, why don't you go with uh, your number five? So I think this may be the most unexpected pick for me or just like the most, I don't know, I don't know how to put it. Um, but I was talking to Roy the other day about whether or not I can include these like three songs as a suite because I kind of see them as three parts. But really, if I had a if push comes to shove, I'm going to pick Sunset from Sinkestra. Um, yeah. which again, I see as like the third part of a three part thing of judgment, a simple lullaby sunset. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I spoke about this last March for metal injection about how 
like people were expecting you to for with empath like write more conventional songs about like politics and stuff and i was saying how like so much of what i think you do is about existentialism and like the human experience and things that you can't necessarily capture by setting them down in like with words and a melody like it's it's beyond that it's it's more intangible so to me sunset is sort of like the aftermath of this this long battle that's that's a great way to look at it. And I also think just in light of that, um, you know, music being a language, yeah. I think that you can uh, express uh, these intangible uh, uh, sort of concepts in a way that people can understand if you're sort of wired with similar sort of um, experiences and biases or whatever. And, uh, and then you don't necessarily have to be super literal about it as well, because I think any of... Uh, the things that interest me existentially or spiritually or, or what have you are things that I also can't articulate with words and I can't quantify it. I, you know, I'd be suspicious of anyone who said they could. Right. Um, so uh, trying to find a melody that implies to you a certain emotional frame of mind is, is really important to me. And sunset was uh, uh, a part of Synchestra that echoed the, uh, the melody from uh, uh, Earth Day like the middle of that, uh, uh, the middle of, of, of uh, no, it wasn't Earth Day, of Deep Peace. The middle of Deep Peace mm -hmm. where there's a, um, uh, this melody that, that is playing. Uh, it gets sort of reinterpreted by Sunset, and the idea there is that um, that particular melody was indicative of a, of, a, of a feeling that was really prevalent at that time. And, and uh, Syncestra as an album was meant to sort of act as a salve to the amount of chaos that had been transpiring with the Alien sessions. And I think that Sunset also was meant to sort of represent that uh, that particular period was starting to come to an end. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that that melody that was in Deep Peace was one that was with me during that whole period. Like I remember just being in the bathtub and... And that melody would just be going throughout my head. In fact, if you're listening to Deep Peace, you hear water splashing in the background because that's where that melody kept sort of like playing into it. And so Sunset was meant to be sort of like, you know, indicative of that particular period in which that melody was such a big part of coming to an end, I guess. Yeah, like I know a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know have mental health issues and they really like your stuff because it like it it puts those, again, like intangible feelings into some sort of musical structure so like the riffing of sunset i just i i almost sense like it's the aftermath of coming out of a great depression that's, and that's it's like triumph well, yeah well consciously i'm sorry to interrupt i yeah. mean that was kind of the whole idea even the first song uh triumph like i think that uh, um for mental health and me one of the things that's very important about uh, addressing it because it's a touchy subject you can really uh, find yourself in hot water with people by yeah. not keeping your own mental health in check. And so a lot of it for me is about finding methods either melodically or personally to, to kind of fight that, uh, onslaught of, of depression and, and, yeah. and all of that. And, uh, and so that conscious need to like continuously fight through it, I think was, almost more prevalent on Syncestra than anywhere else because Alien just fucked with me so hard, right? <laughs> yeah. 
And there's a, like, I was never sure what exactly you said because it's like, you know, you have the whole like wall of sound kind of vocal technique. So it's not always 100% clear, mm. but there's that moment where it kind of dies down and it gets kind of like starry. And yeah. to me, it sounds like you're singing Fade Away. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's so subtle and so quick, but it just, it touches me so much in terms of like on an emotional, like this great, like influx of contrasting emotions that you can't put words to or melody to. It just captures that. Well, yeah. I think that's a lot of when I'm tracking background vocals as well, like I'm writing, I've been writing all week and I've got some really, really interesting directions that I think things are going. And a lot of when you're writing, you're you're hopefully allowing yourself just to kind of like, like get into the flow of it and not think about it. And just as a result of that, when I start doing those background vocals, the words that seem to make sense uh, are, are more just uh, indicative of where you're at at that point, as opposed to consciously deciding on them right Yeah, listen, that's a beautiful song. Um, but when you were talking about melody, uh, I think the one that I chose here is is actually along those lines and, and uh, very on the p sort of poppier side of, of what you do sometimes. And, and that's uh, from Epicloud, Save Our Now. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, not one I think that maybe might come up in sort of these general type of conversations. Maybe it does. But um, just I couldn't – I kept coming back to this song. I'm looking through – you know, a, a list of songs that I was trying to decide on which ones and and, uh, and certainly there was a number of them. And then this one is just one that I always find myself just listening to the melody and the hook in it from the beginning. It yeah. just is so direct and right there. And so I and I love just the verses, the production of it. It just really just grabs me every time. Well, thank you. And um, I love that song, too, actually. And it's it's interesting because uh as much as I, I get fascinated by my own process, which I do, not necessarily because I'm fascinated by myself, but just I'm fascinated by music, right? So I, yeah. I tend to sort of vaporize and disappear up my own ass a lot of the times when it comes to these little puzzles. And, uh, and then I assume that, you know, because I think it's clever, it's a good song, when a lot of times it's just, it's just interesting to me rather than being a good song. But as a fan of music, uh, direct is just so important and I struggle sometimes and this is a lot of times people have been critical of my you know I really like Def Leppard or I like Nickelback or I like Five Finger Death Punch or, or a lot of these things that perhaps in the prog or you know uh, metal world would not be seen as having the type of cred that you're supposed to uh, right. you know adhere to but I like it because there's something about making a direct statement well that I think is just really an art. And um, Save Our Now uh, uh, is uh, basically uh, the structure that was uh, in in no small part due to a friend of mine who was in a band uh, called Pendulum and Knife Party. And uh, 
uh, and I actually asked him, I said, Hey, you know, you, you had this structure I thought was brilliant on one of your songs and I would like to use part of it so I can kind of hear myself doing a similar thing. And, and he agreed to that. But I think that those types of structures are, are really important and, and much more difficult for me than a load of complicated yeah. horseshit. Oh, listen, I'm an unabashed Def Leppard fan. I've said it many times on the podcast. And I, I love the marriage of, of uh, pop with metal guitars okay. when it's done well. And they're one of the bands that I think did it the best, you know, and not, well, not to an overly cheesy point. Um, so that's why yeah. I've always, always liked them. But uh, Save Our Now, actually, I never thought about it, but it has a little Def Leppard in there in, oh, the, in the verses. So I, I, I hear where you're coming from. Totally. And it's like... Um... Uh, and it wasn't the lyrics or, or I mean, some of those stuff as a teen, I really liked from Def Leppard or whatever, but it was the production. It just, yeah. it was just so modern and just so easy on the ears and sounded great on my stereo. And I just, you know, and I find that if you can marry that type of production with something that, that uh, like just lets itself go straight into your ears as opposed to you having to overly analyze it. Uh, I think there's a huge value to that. And, and, you know, my, my career is kind of a mixture between complicated, uh, uh, you know, antagonistic music and, and really easy melodies, right? Like, so yeah. I like them both. Yeah. Perfect. Um, all right, great. This is good. Uh, all right, Devin, your number four choice. Okay. So I'm going to go for Skeksis off of alien. Okay. Um, and that, um, uh, you know, they, I think a lot of where you end up with albums uh, is if you do it right, it becomes uh, a snapshot of a particular frame of mind and a particular time in your life. And while you're in that, unfortunately, sometimes you, you can't see the forest for the trees. And, and when you look back at an album, maybe there's only like four or five songs that are lasting where at the time it all seemed appropriate, you know? So in a sense, it's a, it's a good snapshot, but, maybe not lasting and and alien was such a, uh an intense experiment for me i think psychologically and 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 artistically that uh at the time uh i thought it was a stronger record than than uh maybe i ultimately ended up feeling that it was uh i think the effect of alien was exactly what i had hoped to achieve which was really unsettling but skexis was a moment on that uh, record and in that process that I was really proud of because um, musically it was uh, you know the patterns the rhythms the 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 divisions in which uh, certain melodies fell into was mathematically uh, uh, really uh, uh, intentional I was really uh, excited about uh, the physics and 
the concept of you know the Fermat's last theorem where there was this uh, the analogy that I, I, I took from that theorem was that um, there was a way to connect two previously uh, thought unconnected um, uh, mathematical formulas with this really elegant formula that uh, this mathematician Andrew Wiles had had uh, spent years trying to decipher and I think it ended up x squared plus y squared equals z squared was the was the solution that he came up with which incidentally was in Morse code uh, during the end of InfoDump on Alien because that was just really exciting to me at the time I really liked the idea that you could uh, break down your psychological patterns your emotions everything into well formula in some way so through Skeksis and it's unfortunate because the production and the mix on it is is nowhere near what I was hoping um, the melodies would move so if, if a section was in six there would be a melody that was in seven but also a bass that was in four and a vocal that was in three but the um, the sequence of each one of those patterns would be such that they would all end at the same time and uh, okay. I became really uh, interested in finding ways to solve those little, again, previously unrelated uh, time signatures and, and, and patterns and have them sort of play ball with each other. And uh, lyrically as well, it was, it was very much about synesthesia and about mathematics and in terms of you know numbers relating to colors, relating to sound, relating to form, relating to God, relating to sex, relating to, you know what I mean? And it's like the idea of, of that uh, process being uh, represented in that song was was just fascinating to me. And I, I find that, in fact, later on, once I got over the awe of that kind of process, I realized that's where the failing of that record was for me, is that it's not something necessarily to be feared or something to to look at as being indicative of of, of a dysfunction, but rather... You know, if you're in awe of it, man, it's always going to be overwhelming, right? So that's what Skeksis was about. Plus, Skeksis was from The Dark Crystal, the name of the bad guys in The Dark Crystal, and I love that movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Awesome, man. That's great. I like, yeah, perfect song. Um, all right, Jordan, you're number four. All right. So my number four is from uh, Punky Brewster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think, I think this might be something Roy was going to have too, but I got to it first. It's Singularity from Empath, the big epic conclusion. Curses. As soon as I chose that, I'm like, I know he probably has this one too. That's I okay. do. Um, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as like it's been in the press release, as you've said, as other people who've written about it have said, like Empath is kind of the, you know, uh, coalition of everything that's happened. It's kind of like built, all been building up to this grand kind of statement. 
Um, so why not end on like a 23 minute song that, you know, on a, from a technical aspect, you know, it's, it would be easy to say it's the ultimate Devin Townsend song just kind of from that way. But I really do think it's kind of like every shade of what you do in one con concise sort of like mad package. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I think that um, Singularity uh, was also on my list. But um, there's certain aspects of it that I, I think are are really uh, important to me. Like um, part two and part six are, are things that I really think is cool. And how it all flows together, regardless of how I feel about each section, uh, implies something that I think is important to me. But, yeah. uh, but more than anything else, what Singularity was meant to represent uh as again more so than a song it was meant to be the the whole empath record was was rooted in trying to overcome the fear of my artistic uh motivations you know and this is where i was thinking about skexis where i i would touch on things that would freak me out and and then i would adhere a type of importance to those things that was just really not only unhealthy but super arrogant so with empath the idea with that from the beginning was like okay well let's dive into this and let's deconstruct your past and then explore these things without adhering that same sort of sense of importance to them and um and singularity is meant to be uh you know the the fastest way out is through right so that's an important yeah. to me too i mean i think like you know it starts with a in a very nice acoustic somewhat like conventional song i don't mean that in, in a drug or a you know negative sense but just it's very accessible it's an easy to get into and it ends with that way yeah. so i think it's a great example not only of like you as a songwriter and singer removed from all the production and like flashy techniques and stuff um, well, a lot of like philosophical language but then in the middle you know you're screaming about psychosexual war and uh, the papayas <laughs> <laughs> every facet of you together well i mean that I think the thing that was interesting, like the beginning in part one is supposed to be you're lost. I was lost in yeah. the beginning of that cycle and I'm trying to figure out where the hell to go. And by the end, you're, you're, you, you realize that, you know, there's nowhere necessarily to go, but you can take solace in the fact that everybody's lost, I guess. And I think that yeah. the papaya thing, as much as it's, you know, it's silly, the whole point of that was in the past, uh, you know, that, uh, let there be monsters part is indicative of like the strapping energy and in the past, I was so freaked out by it. And the papaya thing at the end of it is just like, no, nah, man, just let it let it pass. It's all good. It's like as part of being a human being, sometimes you're there. And that's yeah. it's not a it's not indicative of you being dysfunctional as much as just highly sensitive. Right. And um, and so singularity is 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 an important well, it's not important, but to me, it's an important journey, right? So yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a it's a journey, and even like you know, through the storm, may you become a rainbow. Yeah, which brings me back to Sinkestra, because there's that line, um, "You are the rainbow, you are the sun to my chameleon." Yep. Well, it's, like, no, it's all through lines. Yeah, the, the 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 whole thing is just through even singularity. The the whole point of it is uh, through it all. It's not worth um, consciously ignoring. Uh, the fact that there is horror out there, mm -hmm. which I think over the past three records prior, Transcendence, Z2, and um, and uh, you know maybe Epicloud, I had consciously 
tried to uh, eliminate any thought in my mind that, you know, there's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like good thoughts, everything clean, good thoughts, everything mm-hmm. clean. And then I found that that started to just get to the point where it's like, well, I feel a little delusional. Plus, not only that, I felt that if you've got a if you've got a um, a a framework in which you have a voice, it's very easy to to I think project these these things and and have people believe that maybe you've got your shit together when uh, the truth is much different. And I think that I really needed to do something like empath to say. Well, I don't have my shit together. None of us do. However, um, uh, you know, I'm not willing to to allow the chaos of the world to just pull me under. And I think that was an important statement for me at the time. Right. going to go to my number four which we actually uh, referenced it before which is uh deep peace from terrier um and the, the the reason being that melodic guitar breakdown you know that you know towards the second half of the song which is just so cool and so um sort of surprising and unexpected and how the song kind of directs towards that and it almost feels like i don't know if it's intentional or not but it almost feels like it it's like a happy accident as it's as you're listening to it. It's just like this thing that's happening and all of a sudden it becomes this whole melody that starts to take off and it's very captivating. Um, uh, just an amazing song. I almost went with Earth Day as well, which is awesome. Almost those two together, I think, work as a, as a pair. Um, I think I think that I would I would take deep peace over Earth Day. Uh, Earth Day uh, um, meant something to me, but but in the long run, I, I think deep peace is more compelling yeah uh to me and what's interesting to, about dps as well is is i remember while while writing it and a lot of these records and the, you know people ask me why i redo songs and i'm just i i'm, I'm of the mind that i just um there's still things there that i want to get right and when i listen back to these songs i'm just like oh that acoustic guitar sounds like shit and like the uh <laughs> you know well, yeah I mean? you're one of the few artists that does that and i think that's really cool you know if you hear something from 10 years ago and you you want to change it why not i think that's great it's very well cool. i mean i appreciate it. i mean as an imperfect perfectionist it makes it uh you know, you're never satisfied with anything, with anything ever. And I, and whenever I finish a record, I think to myself, uh, if I have the opportunity, I would love to get that uh, closer to how I feel the vision is. And even the Empath 5.1 that I just finished mixing, um, that's uh, much closer to the vision of what it was supposed to be. And, and uh, I always try and refine it. But that being said, is with Deep Peace, um, there was that intro line. I remember thinking while I was strumming that on the acoustic guitar, I was like, oh, okay, this 
what I'm trying to achieve with this is like the sense that this is the last song played um, ever. Like, okay, so in some in some movie, right? You know, it's the last piece of music that exists before everything just uh, disappears, right, or implodes, or whatever the the end is. And so I was trying to um, trying to understand what it would feel like to be in that situation, like hearing that or playing that last song at the very end. And there was a type of resignation that came with that that I thought was really uh, compelling. So um, that's how I, I tried to approach the beginning. And then as it sort of meanders into that guitar thing in the middle, which is something I just love as well. I love meandering with music and, and things just kind of slowly morph into something else. I just I just love that because that strikes me very much like what it means to be a human. It's not often that a moment in time is concise like Save Our Now. It, it, things just kind of morph, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then by the end of Deep Peace, the whole idea is just like, okay, well, we made it through that. It isn't the end, actually. So there's a, a, a sense of optimism and, and strength that came from that realization, right? That things never really end, they just change. Okay, Devin, you're number three. Well, um, I'm going to go with uh, Grace. And um, uh, Grace for me is uh, super powerful uh, and can be more powerful than it is. Um, but it kind of ticked a lot of the boxes during the, the, the production of that to the point where it, it was acceptable. Um, and the thing I like about it is in opposition to um, a song like Skeksis or or Mountain where there, it's a bunch of puzzles, um, Grace is just blunt force trauma in a lot of ways. It's like a <laughs> complicated rhythm, but it's all B and C. That's it. You know, and then a B minor. It's just and it's just bludgeoning 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 major chords you know and um and i find that uh is i just love massive heavy major chords because it's it's the way that the harmonics line up with a major chord is such that if it's dead on in tune like with the choir with the guitars with the bass with the, the pitch of the snare drum with everything it's like it doesn't create this weird kind of harmonic distortion that other intervals do, like octaves and fifths, basically, with a bit of a major third in there, makes this vibration that's super consonant. 
And, um, and I just feel like if you get that right, which again, I'm still working towards. And I did a similar sort of approach in part two of singularity, you know, the IMI thing Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. is you can line up those intervals from the floor to the ceiling and just keep stacking them in there. And all it does is just make this almost, uh, overwhelming sense of urgent, um, optimism that that I remember thinking when it when it came to like okay well how can you help as a as an artist as opposed to just filling the world with more bullshit right like how can you help and you know I make make a record like ghost or casualties or something that's really subdued and mellow and it works for certain environments but I mean the world's so loud right that it's never really going to break through anything so there's this thought that just keeps coming back where it's like, well, you got to make it devastatingly heavy, but major chords, right? So, so Grace is an example of like just fifths, octaves, and thirds that just from the floor to the ceiling, right? And um, uh, I love making that type of vibe. And I, I actually have a bunch of things that I'm working on now that, 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 pursue that even further but grace was a a really good moment for me because saying you know never fear love and grace and and you know all that stuff at that sort of level of intensity i just think is a very strange experience and i really enjoy it think uh we we have to give credit a lot to annika for what she adds to some of these songs right Mm -hmm. because her voice just fits your music so perfectly yeah Um, it does and it's it's really amazing um it's it's a hard hard thing as well because it's like we both have careers and and you know it's like uh it's sometimes we can hook up and sometimes we can't but no i totally agree annie's annie's a force of nature man she's amazing um, yeah. All right, Jordan, you're number three. Yeah, I agree about her voice. <laughs> She's one of my favorite vocalists ever, of course. Yeah. And you both got to work with Arian uh, Lukitsin with Arian too, so that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so my number three is in a way the most representative and also the, I don't know, it's the Mighty Masturbator uh-huh. Deconstruction. Okay, um, i got to remember that one. Because <laughs> it's just like, it's batshit. Right. I mean, if all <laughs> if somebody asked me, what's the number one most batshit Devin Townsend song? I'd probably say that. But it's also like incredible. That's just I don't even know where to start in describing it. Like it's it's all it's sinister at the start. Like so much of that album, I think, starts kind of like quietly and it builds and it's atmospheric. And then it just like hits when you yell, I'm home and it just all like comes in. Yeah. Um, 
So to me, it's like it's one of the chief examples of why I and many other people um, have sort of likened you to a modern day Frank Zappa. Not so much in any sense of like plagiarism, but in terms of like really complex, like one of a kind arrangements and just like, how does anybody think of this? But on the surface, you know, it's like about the Mighty Masturbator. It's like there's some humor to it and there's just some one of a kind just weirdness. But beneath it, it's so intricate and I don't know. It's just like, you know, you could do a whole dissertation on this one song. (laughs) I agree. I mean, I think the thing is, it's like I, I, I on the weirdness by this point, you know what I mean? It's like for years I used to be really self-conscious about it and try and, because to me it seems obvious these things, you know, it's not, um, not done to be provocative. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm crazy. I mean, it's like, maybe that's a sure sign that I'm maybe not all there, but I, 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 I mean, I think I'm, I'm pretty together and I, I feel that deconstruction as a project, um, was, much less about music, much less about songs, uh, than it was about, uh, catharsis, which is why by the end of it, poltergeist, you know, like, you know, it's like, uh, the idea is, is an exorcism and, um, uh, the whole process of writing it, uh, I I did so quickly, uh, maybe not compositionally, but, I knew from the very beginning that similar to alien, uh, there's a level of, of, you know, uh, complexity that I just needed to really just wake up in the morning, make myself a cup of coffee and deal with each section at a time. And in, uh, in contrast to alien where I was so freaked out at the time and I was, you know, just smoking tons of dope and, and, just paranoid and all these sorts of things that came along with it with deconstruction. It was really the opposite in terms of, uh, uh, my, my process where, you know, I had kids and I woke up early and I quit at five and I didn't allow it to, to possess me, I think musically. And, and what I was trying to achieve with it was, uh, to learn how to control it as opposed to it control me and the even the song deconstruction where he realizes that through all that uh, existential digging that the nature of what he's been in pursuit of is something stupid you know cheeseburger is what it was meant to be and and the whole point of that was again not to be provocative not to make a fart joke it was just it's it was really supposed to be uh an explanation to myself of what it was that had freaked me out so much in the past during alien is that you were just hung up or I was just hung up on my own ego, right? Like I was hung up on my own process to the point where I was adhering importance to that process. That was just ridiculous, really in the face of real life things, you know, your parents getting older and kids being born and your friends dying and, you know, life, yeah. that that mighty masturbator deconstruction all these things are meant to be in the beginning praise the lord it's about okay the character the protagonist goes to hell basically he uh he goes and consciously confronts himself and then realizes that amidst it all he was the devil the whole time you know what i mean and not like he was the devil it's just that the um that 
adherence to how important all these things were. It's just ultimately, you know, you're just hung up on your own shit. You don't need to be afraid of yourself. You just need to be able to learn how to control it and not let it control you. So Mighty Masturbator, even as a name, is based on that. It's like, oh, you're just jerking off, really. And so when I was in the middle of the composition of that song, I just, it was really about um, digging ditches. I would just go to the studio and I would just open up the session. I'd say, okay, so this complex little eight bars, you're going to have to spend another five hours on. So let's make it clear. Let's, let's make that first melody there that's doing all this stuff in that is, you know, doesn't make sense with that other melody. Like we're really going to have to make the equalization on it specific or else it's just going to turn into a din right and then i just did that for every section every section every section every section and it just yeah and luckily i was doing ghost at the same time so i was able to sort of uh cool off some of that mental heat that was accumulating by you know making flute music and harp music and all this sort of stuff but mighty masturbator there's nothing really i can say about it other than it was an element of a hole and that hole was just you know digging ditches so i could exercise that fear Look, I'm with Jordan. I mean, that song is everything in the kitchen sink. But uh, but I like but your explanation and how it it, it makes sense within the, the context of the record. The whole thing is, is just really cool. And I don't think as many concepts, uh, concept albums are thought as much. You know, sometimes it's just they're very simple. Oh, um, dude. You know, dude. and yeah. <laughs> you spend a lot of time with oh, it, dude. clearly. Dude. <laughs> everything. Everything and the concept. I don't think of it as a concept album, like you know, Operation Mindcrime or Tommy or something. It's just. Right. I think that I think that in order for a piece of music to make sense to the listener, there has to be some sort of trajectory that has, even if it's musically, some sort of narrative to it. Yeah. Right. And and simply by just trying to find solutions to these musical puzzles, that narrative tends to sort itself out and if i run into a roadblock musically um 10 times out of 10 it's because it's a part of the the overarching theme of that particular period in my life that i haven't sorted out yet you know so That's cool. once once it gets sorted out you know fear of confrontation or or fear of death or, or whatever it is right like once you even if you don't sort it out once you're able to sort of analyze it a little bit then inevitably that music starts to solve itself. And by the end of it, there's a narrative, right? And 
when I'm asked about it, yeah, you know, I ramble off all this shit about what it is. And I could certainly see that if it's taken literally, yeah, it seems insane. But if it's taken figuratively, it's just an analogy for for working myself through these periods in my life, you know, that are not uncommon to any of us, I don't think. Yeah. It's in the title. It's deconstructionist about like the human totally. experience in a sense. I mean, even in, like the silliest, you know, see the vagina face lady and stuff. Yeah. But you're well, like your most operatic. It's it's absurdist about the absurdity of life to me in a sense that like it reminds me of the book Fight Club that I teach all the time because yeah. it's like self-improvement is masturbation. You spend so much time worrying. Yeah. And it's like it's at the most childish and silliest of, of it. It's it's a commentary on life. It's deeper than well, it seems. And my life, my life specifically. Right. But right. I mean, at the same time. One thing that I have to defend myself for, not that I'm being accused of anything, but just I have been typically in the past is why I put humor into these things, you know, and the absurdist stuff and people shitting themselves and, and yeah. you know, and all that. And it's just because life is fucking crazy, dude. Like it just seems what I find really difficult about a lot of art, quote unquote art in general, specifically when it comes to, you know, um, music is how po-faced it gets. And I interpret that seriousness and that po-faced aspect of it as, and rightly or wrongly, people making claims that they know what the fuck is going on. You know, like, you know, it's like, you know, I've learned this about my life and this is how I've lived and learned and loved and lost and you too and all this sort of shit. And I just think to myself, no one knows anything. No one knows shit. And anybody who, what's the Princess Bride quote? Anyone who tries to tell you that they do is selling something, right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so for all the all the existential BS that I tend to think about and the philosophical things that I tend to be hardwired to think about, there's an another side of me that's just like, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. You have no idea. And so even the beginning of the song Deconstruction, I, it's meant to be these two... Um, you know, uh, elitist philosophical minds discussing about the nature of the mind and all this. And while it's happening, they're just shitting themselves and, you know, getting boners and, and all these, <laughs> all these things that are just, you know, it seems so funny that in the midst of our pontificating that we have to, we have to also recognize that we're slaves to all this human shit and I just think that that dichotomy is fucking hilarious. And to not include it in the music seems, at least to me, like I'm not being honest about the fact that I'm full of shit. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I just been there. Yeah, right? Cool, and, man. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Um, that's awesome. Thanks for that that explanation. That's awesome. Um, all right, I'm gonna move it along. Uh, my number three uh from transcendence and i think this song does a good uh combination of a little bit of the pop side but also uh, a more of the progressive metal kind of side it's a nice mix which is secret sciences yeah um, i like that one yeah and it's just a, sort of in a in, in one side it's just a good pop tune right and then there's just a lot of really cool instrumentality some great guitar parts going on the drumming is great the whole you know i like the production the whole thing um that album is is just a great record uh and uh this one is the one i was trying to failure truth the, is also fantastic 
Um, but I went with this one, just the one I think I listened to the most from this record. But um, I like this one. I like the sort of big epic ending as well. It's very, very cool to me. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that, and and I think that's that's one of the ones from that record that that is lasting for me, um, and that's actually an example of of a song that uh, is somewhere between um, Save Our Now and Skeksis. You yeah, know, it, right? Exactly. That's what I was saying. Yeah, that's how. I and I and I I actually that was kind of the first time that I had had sort of messed around with with experimenting with that, and in fact, I was writing a song last night that was reminding me of Secret Sciences and. What I think is is kind of fun now is to take those little musical puzzles and then over top of it, if you can crowbar a super simple sort of commercial melody on top of it, that's a combination that I really enjoy. And I think Secret Sciences is is the first time I really experimented with that. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. That's great. Uh, oh, we're back to uh, you, uh, Devin, number two. Number two. Okay. Um uh, I'll take from the heart from Transcendence, which is um, uh, uh, a song that uh, you know. When I listen back to Transcendence, I, I think it's a really competent record, and there's a lot of things about that record that um, that I love. Um, uh, but uh, from the heart was the one that I remember from that one. It's like if if there was like one moment from that album that I was like oh there you were uh that's what it was and where that song is actually derived from is uh you know I started going to this yin yoga class um uh you know I was stressed as we tend to be and uh I'd done all the Bikram yoga for a long time but dude my body is just a fucking gong show right it's like a r rusty lock and I uh <laughs> I try to I try to exercise and you know because my limbs are are bird-like as well it's like i got to be careful with any sort of um you know resistance exercises because i just tend to fuck my wrists up right so i was going to the bikram yoga and and i really enjoyed it but at the same time it was it was you know that same old thing so i went to a yin yoga class and they did these ones where they put you into these fucked up pretzel positions and then you just wait until your brain breaks a lot of the time right <laughs> And one of the experiences that I had, they, they had this thing where they like put this block between your shoulders and your arms are hanging down and you just your your chest is, is skyward. And they started playing this music and the song that they played was was it just really fucked me up when I heard it. I was just like it was a combination of where I was at and just that particular moment and you know how vulnerable I felt at that moment. But um the guy um uh what was his name? I think it's Krishna Das. 
or Benji. No, Benji and Heather was the name of the of the um, the people singing this song. Uh, and I looked it up and I found out the original writer was this this cat named Krishna Das. And, and so I had our management write his organization and say, uh, I would like to do a heavy metal version of that chorus. <laughs> and uh, and I guess confusedly, but they were sure they were like, yeah, OK, sure. So so I took that chorus that I had heard the JSA Hanuman, and um, and then I just adapted it to that um song and i just i don't know i just found it just profoundly fucking beautiful and um to be able to incorporate that that melody and the end that was all part of this sort of yoga track that i had heard and so the first two verses i was really able to i think uh say um what i was meaning to say about that particular time where i was just like oh i give up um, I give up. I, I I need to just give up. And uh, then to be able to use that chorus and then bring it down to something mellow at the end, I just found that was a really uh, heartfelt song for me. Sometimes I can intellectualize myself in ways that, you know, is not really heartfelt, but that was really a, a strong one for me. Okay, Jordan, your number two. Uh, my number two is the title track from Key, uh, 2009, I believe. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's. I love that one. Well, it's one of the again. I'm I'm not saying this because you're on the podcast with us. Ask anybody. I like could wax poetic about your stuff anyway. But this is one of the few pieces where I say this is an example of why Devin Townsend is a genius huh. because of just how. <laughs> I did. I mean, I wrote a piece for Pop Matters about like. I really appreciate it. Oh, dude, um, I, really, I really appreciate it, man. I will say one thing though: is it's like, I feel that musicians don't necessarily write the music; we're just privy to it. So when we're talking yeah. about music, a lot of the reason why I'm rambling about it is not because I, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like, oh, you know, I love this song because I wrote it. I just feel like I stumbled upon this thing that I have respect for, and right. and that song key was a big deal for me because coming out of strapping you know uh getting sober at that time having a kid uh grandparents yeah. passing away always just it was just these profound life changes that i felt like i was just hiding in the shadows for all of key like that was kind of the whole uh intention of that record is just like hide 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 and anytime that album would sort of crescendo to the point where that uh, power that I, uh, I guess was afraid of at that point would start to rear its head. I would immediately put the kibosh on it, you know, like the midsection of disruptor or gato or anything heaven's end. It would get to those points 
And then I would immediately say, nope, 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 we can't go there and follow it up with never going to win or a quiet chorus or, or something. And I was very intentional where I was hiding. And so the song Key, the reason that uh, ends that record in a sense is that that was a breakthrough for me of just being like, uh, uh, you got to let your freak flag fly. You know what I mean? Like you got to. You got to be who you are or else you're going to spend the rest of your life um, being afraid of of everything and like of confronting the parts of your nature that you need to whatever. Right. You can't fear who you are. You got to figure out who you are and just from the heart be as be as unabashed about it as possible. And key and the ending of key with the arpeggios and the, the big operatic vocal thing was that breakthrough basically uh, put music and so it was a really important one for me great i mean it's you know the first half of it and as you said like what it represents coming after you know you battling some vices coming through that the whole like dtp uh quadrilogy i guess you'd call it the four of them mm -hmm. um, so the first half of that is just like a like i think one of your best like just acoustic singer songwriter pieces it's oh. a very like cathartic and comforting and poetic you know we endure and pass the moment in the vocals and the falsetto yeah. that alone is very nice but then just how like each every few measure measures it builds with more of the arrangement and again it's like it's not even clear what's happening necessarily like some of the vocals are again like kind of intangible or incoherent but that's part of the power of the production I and think it's that's just, just yeah i think it's important too to to uh to um a lot of times just the intention comes through. You could say, I, I was thinking about this moth project that I'm about to make here. Well, I'm yeah. just starting to write. And one of my thoughts originally was like, well, it should be written in a language that no one understands because uh, I think that, I think that the lyrics uh, are sometimes a distraction in a sense because it adheres, you know, every word's got like such value um, uh, inherently attached to it. That sort of, you know, by the end of key, those words are just it's it's more about patterns and and cumulatively it expresses something right and the one thing i also love about uh key uh specifically the song key is it was a snowstorm while i was recording it and so a lot of the production and even the echoes and everything that i tried to do there was i kept looking out the window going well how do you represent this how do you represent you know like what snow is and uh uh you know, it was a very insulated uh, vibe, a very like you're in a hive in a way. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so I really like that one. Um, very cool. Uh, all right. I'm going to jump to my number two and uh, I'm going to go to the Addicted Record and Super Crush. 
And I just think this is this is the song of, you know, part of what I what you do in all, in a lot of songs is this sort of massive wall of sound thing, right? And I think the chorus in this song is is like perfect for for that for me. Um the melody and the vocal line and just the guitars, everything is just so massive and it's and it's still so melodic. Um it's just a great mix of those things and with each chorus it builds and builds and then the last one is just such a crescendo. Uh it really gets me and I think it's just a really just it's just a kick-ass song, like just a powerful kick-ass song. Um I like that. And I like that it goes and then, you know, it goes right into hyperdrive almost. And if you're not paying attention, you you, you almost lose yourself that it, the song even it, 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 they could be one song is what I think. But um, that's a great album, by the way. I think it's a fantastic record. Um, Thanks, but I have to pick uh, Supergirl. Addicted as a record, uh, I approached it very similar to Deconstruction. It was all part of that same process. I think the bookends of that DTP thing were the most important parts of it for me, like Key and Ghost. Um, and Addicted and Deconstruction, I approached them both in a way of like, okay, well, you have to, you have to go through this to, uh, to figure out what these sorts of things mean to you, right? And um, Addicted is very colorful, and there's a lot of like for lack of a better term, I, I think of it like candy, a lot of that record. And, uh, and super crush, uh, super crush and, um, resolve addicted bender, all these songs, uh, uh, numbered. Um, uh, when I say this, I sound disparaging to it and I don't mean to, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to articulate it, but they're all sort of interchangeable to me. They all sort of represent one thing. And they're all just aspects of it. And even because of that, in the credits, they've all got capital letters and exclamation marks, you know? And I mean, uh, I hate exclamation marks. It always just looks so desperate, right? But it's <laughs> like, uh, um, but on that one, it seemed like, yes, this song, this song, this song, this song, yay, 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 right? And um, uh, that's what the intention was with it. And I guess what I mean by it meaning similar, being similar to deconstruction is that it's just, it's, it's, it was the process of that more so than the individual song. I, I, I sort of get what you're saying with it. It's sort of like this, it's just this fist pumping loud kind of record, That's right? That's, That's it. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess that just appeals to me, to me a little bit, but you know yeah. what? I, and maybe this is a, 
a everyone should know this type of thing uh but i don't so i'm gonna ask it and be dumb but the the crayons on the cover what's the symbolism of that like well i i I don't know the story behind the cover well travis uh travis smith did that album cover and uh him and i've been working together for years and 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 travis more than any other artist that i've worked with uh needs to have a concept that makes sense for him so the concept came from him uh but i think uh from what i remember about our discussions in which he, he drew that concept from um the crayons represent certain uh, energies that I, I guess the music I had done represented. You know, the red one was the strapping one, and the blue one was the ocean machine one, and the uh, the green one uh, I guess was DTP. And then you'll notice that there's a a purple smudge on the ground, which I I would assume is a conflict between the red and blue. You know, that's sort of binary sort of thinking that that I tend to have involved myself in, at least up to this point. So I think. Kind of what the concept was, and if you look through the art in that as well, uh, you know it's a, it's all handwritten lyrics, and my handwriting is always you know going a million miles an hour, and it's big, you know it's all it's on a forty five degree angle, and I press way too hard, and it's all capital letters, and I mean that's kind of how I roll, right? So I think that conceptually, uh, Travis played that into it as well. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, all right, so you're number one. I think we know, right? Is it was it going to be singularity for you? Who me? Yeah, that's what. Like, well, gonna, well, no, I, I, I'm I uh, change it up. I, I'm going to change it up. I, singularity because we had talked about it. I, I feel like like uh, it's one of my favorite moments, but it's not my favorite song. I think my favorite song is probably still Truth, and um, okay. I uh, I've tried it a bunch of times, and I, I mean it's never right. I'll never get it right. Um, uh, it really wasn't right with Infinity, but had a, a good sort of desperation to it. And it also wasn't right with Transcendence, but it's a lot clearer uh, what it was that I was trying to achieve. But I think the thing with Truth is when I wrote it, it was really automatic. It, it was like I just picked up the guitar and the whole thing kind of came out. And it was so um, euphoric at the time that I remember thinking that uh, that I had tapped into something that was really um, uh, beyond me, I guess. And my whole uh, my whole reason to be musically has been like, well, how do you honor that? You know, we talk about uh, it's very easy, I think, to get into these discussions and feel like you're blowing yourself when you're talking about music. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but it's it's I, I honestly feel that that my job as a musician is to is to honor that that source where music comes from so if you hear things my um feeling that getting it right is is if people are able to sort of take from your work that same sense of 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 whatever it was that you had when you when you first started writing it and that's why i'm uncomfortable with with taking comments for the music itself but what I'm really comfortable with is like, oh, you did a good job uh, getting it out, like like capturing that. And I think that my role as a as an artist is, man, I'm you know I I, I cut wood basically, right? And and you just hope that by your process and all these things that you can kind of honor it. And um, I think with truth, although I'm you know I got 
maybe 60% of what it was that I was hoping to achieve with it. Maybe, maybe. Um, I still feel that, that, that was, uh, that moment in which I, I heard that song was a real gift I felt. And, and, you know, as a result, I, I really feel, I really feel that that was you know, maybe the number one song for me. There's a bunch of other ones that I would maybe consider as well, but I, for the sake of, of this conversation, I'll just go with truth. Uh, Jordan, your number one. All right. So my number one <clears throat> is the most subjective pick, I think, in terms of, or as the other ones I would say objectively, it's the most technical or the most melodic or something like that. Mine is Angel uh, from Epic Cloud. Oh, that's and a, I don't, yeah. I don't know why exactly, because like it, I, you know, I don't mean this to sound insulting in any sense, but I don't think in any way it's your most anything. Like lyrically, it's not the most poetic or abstract it's not the most technical it's one of your most like kind of purposefully repetitive and again in a good way yeah i uh i love that song and i think i think that um i think that that uh is a is a shining example of annie's power too right oh, yeah. um but um i like that sense of when music is like right on the fence of being uh melancholy and powerful like there's really like that sort of drama i just love and and i i when i was a kid as much as i loved def leopard as we talked about earlier i also loved enya so much that uh i remember I wanted, saying that before somewhere yeah oh, yeah i just wanted to make somewhere between ride the lightning hysteria and watermark you know what i mean <laughs> yeah with some paint your wagon in there or something or some west side story and i think that uh I think that Angel was just uh, really strong, and uh, I, I really love that song. Yeah, thank you. Again, I don't know what it. That's why I say it's subjective. I don't know what it is about it, but just like again, it's very dynamic. And the way like she sings, um, you know, all the way through the hardest kind of pain and in like a sense, and then this like crash of just cry from under. Yeah, it's just something about that is just like it's so cathartic. It's just like 
it expresses relief and understanding and like so much again i have like a particular friend of mine um suffers from a lot of like depression and just really bad days and she'll like listen to that and it just gives her comfort that like it's a universal feeling that it's just it's just it's almost an intangible component of it it's just like it just it gets me it gets a lot of people i think me too it gets me and again I'll, i'll reiterate again uh you know, you're in service to this stuff, I feel. And so when these uh, chord sequences and, and progressions come along, your your goal is to is to is to try and do it uh, as well as it can be done, as opposed to accepting that, oh, this is you. You know, this is you. It's through your bias. But I feel the same with this stuff. You know, when I if if the work that I do gets it close to the mark, uh, it affects me in a similar way to how I think it, affect, it affects some people as well, and and that's always when I know that it's like okay, so now you can now you can feel like you did a good job on this one because well, you know, I think for me as well, you know, especially being in this world of of you know progressive rock or progressive metal or whatever we want to call it, uh, you know you can be impressed by the technical things and certainly I am. And there's, there's artists and songs that I love just because they are cool or interesting. And then sure. there's other stuff that is just blunt power. You know, you can enjoy a, a strong ACDC song just as well. You know what I mean? And Very then, much. and then there's, but, but the stuff that really gets me is when it gets, it hits you emotionally. That's totally. where I think, that's the favorite stuff, right? That's the stuff that you remember. That's the stuff that, at least for me, that's that's the peak moments for me. So that's I, a hard, I, I get it. It's a hard thing I find as an artist too, because, uh, and I used to really resent singing because I I, I don't want to be seen. You know what I mean? It's like I just want to be able to make the music, but I don't want to have to be like the focal of it. It's never been what's interested me. But then somewhere along the line, it you know, Devin Townsend project, your name becomes a brand and, and you are the focus of it. And I find that there, there's this suspension of, of fear that I find as a singer, you have to go through, you're just like, in order for this to be what it's supposed to be, you have to be vulnerable. And as easy as one would like to think that is, you're like, you just flip a switch and that's your technique as a singer. Now you're vulnerable. Like, fuck that, dude. It requires... Right. It requires the rest of your life to come into line with it. How can you get to the point where you can say that shit and not be afraid and also do it with with strength? And and as somebody who's just fundamentally fundamentally terrified of everything, basically, to get to the point where you can actually record that shit. The only way I feel like I can get any of that stuff out is by working on the rest of my life, you know, so. A lot of times when people say, okay, well, everything you're doing is autobiographical. And, and I think on some level, again, that implies a type of narcissism. I think that if you're, if your work is, is in service of music, then I don't think it's narcissistic. I think it's just like, there's no purpose in making music unless you're willing to sort of do the legwork on a personal level to get to the point where you can say that shit. And, uh, and that's that's where the work comes. And that's why every album is typically different, because the process is about, well, what do you uncover as a result of doing that? What do you uncover as a result of going there? 
And then where does that lead you? And and oftentimes it ping pongs you between dynamics, right? But um, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a challenging thing. Indeed. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna close out with my number one. And Jordan, you did refer to it. I am gonna I am gonna go with that song, uh, which is Singularity. Um, and I, I, I'm glad to have you on this, Devin, to talk about it because. Uh, the the I've, this song is so impressive to me, and and I've talked about it on older podcasts. So if anybody's listening again, like oh here Roy, here's Roy going off again on this song. I apologize, <laughs> but um, the, the the whole the whole way the song starts from from the mellow thing to the to the beginning melody to the craziness and to the to the epic ending is that that's amazing of itself. But I I for me I find the last three minutes of that song to be possibly my favorite moment of anything you've done. And it's so uh, epic uh, times 10. And the, the, again, we've talked about this before on this podcast, the, the, the marriage of, of the brilliant melody and the, the, you know, the choral singing and everything with, with the metal behind it. Um, it's married so perfectly at that part. Uh, it's, it's just really impressive. And I, I just have to thank you for that part. I think it's just amazing. Even even the what the you know what's being done on double bass is <laughs> is so ridiculous underneath <laughs> that. It's it's many times signatures in one or something. And yeah. while all this beautiful singing is going along, it's such an impressively written thing. On top of that, the production, which is outstanding, um, it's one of those things where you know when you're driving in the car. And you're like, you know, you get into somewhere and this song comes on and you're like, oh, shit, I better have 23 minutes because if I get to 18 and I've arrived at my destination, I'm sitting in the car for five more minutes because <laughs> I just I can't leave. So <laughs> I do the same. Well, number I, I really appreciate the compliment. That's 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 uh, uh, highly flattering, man. I really appreciate it. And that song in general was uh, a feat for sure. And and something that that a lot of the the empath record was sort of based around was okay well how do we articulate that vision um and i think that that uh uh i think that the best way for me to sort of comment on that as well is just to say that the function of that album the empath record was ultimately to to lead me to where uh things are going next with this moth project and and all that and uh to be able to sort of incorporate all those different dynamics in one song was also something that I've never attempted to do before. I always thought that you had to keep them separated, you know, like the heavy stuff stayed with strapping the mellow stuff stayed with ocean machine or, or what have you. And by having them collide into that one song, as long as it is, I think that opened the gates that now when I find myself writing as I have been doing this week, uh, it becomes that aesthetic, but in a much more, chewable size <laughs> you know yeah what i mean like yeah. as opposed to 23 minutes it, it may we may find in the moth that it's it's present so a i'm, little cu more I'm curious if i can ask just in a little bit more like real micro detail on the rhythm part that's going on underneath right before the the choral singing kind of at the end right so yeah it how where does the work on that start is that you mapping out each note writing it down are you with the drummer at that time when you're playing it out or you know you know what i'm talking about like 
Because it's do. very yeah. staccato and all over the place. So so where does that the writing of something like that begin for you? How does that work? Well, I typically would start that by by expressing that the intention of that part needs to be um, like this binary sort of thing, right? And then um, and then I just sketch things out in a demo form, and then I refine that over and over. And typically, the productions for these things are so involved that I'll do each uh, instrument at a certain time at a certain place too. So I had Anoop, who played the drums on that, come to Vancouver, and he had learned the pattern. And uh, he interpreted that same pattern. What he ended up playing was the same was that was on the demo, but he interpreted it in a way that suited his style. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, he incorporated more toms and what have you. And then while we were jamming, you know, just being open to how things morph and change, as I saw him play it, I thought, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to extend prior to where the vocals come by four bars, and then I'll orchestrate his kicks. So prior to that first... Um, section where where Annie starts singing, there's you know the xylophones and the horns and everything like dun 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 yeah and I think that that was just an example of hearing it in the flesh and then being inspired by uh, the potential of where it could go, but I don't tend to really think about the the creative process uh, overly analytically. I just kind of feel it out and then it pisses me off until it doesn't. <laughs> and then, then it's done, right? Right. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, listen, this has been a, a, a blast. Uh, I, one of my favorite podcasts we've done of this, man. You've been so insightful and 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 so uh, really open to discussing all these songs. I, I can't thank you enough, uh, Jordan, you as well. This has been really, really uh, just great. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the interview, Something Wicked, guys. And... Uh, I hope that anybody who's listening to this also doesn't interpret uh, my interest in the work as being, uh, you know, uh, me blowing myself over it. It's just that it's such a huge part of my life and I put a ton of effort into it. And, and man, I could talk endlessly about the stuff as is clearly demonstrated here. Yeah. But ultimately, I just, you know, I feel that as musicians, we're in service of this stuff and, and, I'm very happy to be so. Uh, let me just give a quick shout out to the tour, uh, right? You got uh, coming up February 26 uh, in North America. I think you kick it off in uh, in Canada. And yep. uh, tickets at heavydevy.com, right? Uh, uh, they can find out tour dates and everything. And yeah, um, your Facebook page and all that, everything's online. Yep. Yep. It should be good, man. It seems like uh, it's, it's going to be the most successful North American tour to date. So I... Uh, I would recommend that anybody listening to this, if you if you're interested in seeing this stuff done in this volume one way, which is very different than a lot of stuff I've done in the past, uh, that you would get your tickets now because a lot of the the venues seem to be yeah, uh, some are sold out. I saw and yeah. and uh, some are getting there. So, exactly. um, yeah, very cool. Jordan, anything else? Um, no, it's just it's been a, a pleasure. And again, just as you said, you hope nobody listening interprets it as you blowing yourself. Hopefully, nobody interprets us. As sort of like blowing you either, like I, as I said, whether you're whether, well, I'm serious though, like whether you were on this or not, like nothing I'm saying is like kissing up to your fanboyism. Like this is honestly what I like. I've been accused of being a fanboy with some of my reviews. I'm like this is what I think, and I stand by it. Thank uh, you, brother. I really appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right, man. Thank you again for the interview, guys, and we'll talk sure. to you soon. We will. We'll see you soon, man. Thank you. Bye. Sure. Bye.